Going up to me is more about what it isn't and it's not about being super spiritual and religious and all of that sort of thing. In fact, it's very much the opposite of that I've discovered. It's more about uh, being known and being empowered and uh, having a relationship that, that excites me and is very real to me and I take it with me wherever I go. The Bible reads me. I used to read it and I'm like, gosh, I need to do this because I'm supposed to. And now it reads me when I open it up and I'm just, I'm operating in a spirit of power and uh, it just, it sears into my heart. So when things are happening in my day, those things pop up and I hear them in my spirit and, and it encourages me and I learn to look up faster than looking at the problem and the hurt. I look at the healer. You seek after him and he will meet you where you're at. So it's, he'll go as fast or as slow as you wanna go. If you're hungry and you're running, he'll run. And if you need to go slow and you need to crawl a little bit, he'll meet you where you're at. So it's up to you, you know, seek and you will find and uh, come to me and I will draw near to you, he says. In my prayer, you know, it's, it's more about starting out with giving thanks. I can ask and I can beg and plead and I've been there, I've done that. I've been on the floor and I can just beg and beg and hope. <clears throat> That's not how it is. No, you come and you give thanks and you, and you lift him up and you raise him up. And then at that point, when you start asking for things, he goes, honey, I already know that. But thank you for trusting me with it. And I've got this. It's not about being religious. It's not about being legalistic and having to have you know, cover up five minutes here and 10 minutes here. It's not that, just go with the Spirit. And if it is your priority, the Lord will speak what you need in the amount of time that you need Him to speak it. If you've only got five minutes, He's a talker. He'll tell you, He will talk to you. Um, and not doing it because you feel like you need to, but doing it because you love somebody. When you love somebody, you ask them questions. When you love someone and you're enamored with them, you want to know everything there is to know about them. So starting in the book of Matthew and getting to know the one that loves you most and best, that's it. For me, I think about it as it is, it is my absolute favorite relationship that I have because for the people that should have loved me my whole life, they have been the people that have hurt me the most. And he has always, always, always been there. So I don't have time to not have time for him. Good morning, friends. Great to have you again today, especially if it is your first time with us, first time in a long time. Hope you can hang with us uh, at our newcomer lunch right after service today. We'd love to get to know you just a little bit better. Hey, we're in the middle of a uh, new sermon series entitled Up, and thanks to Amy for sharing her thoughts. We're going to do different testimonies over the next couple of weeks and months uh, to put some flesh on this idea and to show you what this looks like and what this means. If you haven't been here uh, for the series yet or haven't heard the first two messages in it, you really got to go online and listen to those because everything we're going to be talking about the next couple of months as a church is based on those messages. And everything we're going to be working towards as a church now are based on those messages. So go back online, check those out. We'd love for you to be uh, on the same page. But just so we're all moving in the same direction this morning, here's kind of the essence of what we've been talking about so far. Uh, in Exodus 19, God literally comes down to the top of a mountain called Mount Sinai. But not only does he come down, he also invites someone up. Look at this. Exodus 19, verse 20. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain. And Moses went 
This is our, this is our hope and our prayer for this church that when, when we receive this invitation from the Lord, that it will say, it'll be said, when West Bowles went up. Because this invitation up, this invitation to be with God, to be in his presence, to have this personal, this profound relationship with him, it's an invitation that has been given to you. It's an invitation that's unlike every other invitation you've ever received, and it's an invitation that every Christian has ever, or, or has received. If you are a believer, the invitation is for you. See, from Hebrews to the Gospels to the invitation in the book of James, I mean, the call is clear. God wants you to be with him. He's not interested in you just trying to get things from him. And he really doesn't need a lot of workers that are doing work for him. He wants people who are with him. Does that make sense? He wants folks who are with him, in his presence. And unlike the people in that story in Exodus 19, we don't have to sit at the bottom of the mountain. See, they weren't allowed to go up. They had to stay down. But that's not true for us. We've been called up. So we don't have to just take a, a selfie in front of the mountain. We don't have to wait on the experts to come and tell us what happened on top of the mountain. We don't need videos or blogs or books about what God is like or who he's like. Go sit with him. Be with him. Develop a relationship with him. That's, that's the point. You see, Christianity, Christianity is not about being a nice person or going to church or reading your Bible or, or helping those in need or, or praying before a meal, although I hope you are doing those things. They're important things. The point of Christianity, though, why Jesus died on a cross for us is to bring us back into intimate communion with the Father. See, Jesus didn't save us from God. He saved us so we could be with God again. And Jesus said, you need and you want this relationship so badly. I love you so much. I will do anything so you can be back with the Father. You have to be with him. You have to have a relationship with him, Jesus said. And that's what we're trying to work towards as a church. Other churches say, you know, showing up, listening up, signing up, or paying up. That's what it's all about. No, it's about going up and being with him. And I hope that you're starting to get a, a desire for this. I, think, I hope you're starting to get a little excited, like, I kind of want this, because we're going to be talking about it for a while. So let's, let's, let's keep going. Uh, maybe this analogy will help. Many of you know that we did ministry, my wife and I, out in California uh, for seven or eight years. Malibu, California. Don't want to rub it in or anything. Uh, but it was as beautiful as the pictures always show. And yes, students do struggle studying because it is so daggone beautiful out there. Uh, but one of my favorite parts of doing ministry out there, it, it did. It revolved around the ocean. What I loved doing was being around or being with a student when they saw the ocean for the very first time. It happened more often than you might imagine. Whether it was an international student who was coming to Pepperdine or maybe it was uh, someone from the Midwest, even someone from the inner city. There were a lot of students who after that first week of orientation, we would take them to the beach to see it for the very first time. Let me ask you, how many of you have never seen the ocean firsthand? Okay, I was planning a trip tomorrow, but if we all have been there already, then I guess I'm going alone. Well, I'm glad you've seen it because there's nothing quite like it, right? I mean, there's just nothing like it. There's the sights, the sounds, the, the smells. I mean, it's water as far as the eye can see. And when the water is, is calm, right, it's this beautiful sheet of glass that's just blue and green. And oh, it's like you could walk out there on it. And when it's rough, the, the, the water, the grotter, it's not that, the water is gray and white. And you can literally hear waves crashing for miles away because of the force. Oh, it's just a beautiful thing. Sorry, I'm in, I'm in counseling still. I miss it, obviously, you can tell. But we would just sit there, man, and we would watch these students just take it in for the very first time. 
And I loved after a few minutes coming up from behind them and saying, hey, you know what? You don't have to just look at it. You can go in it. You don't have to just look at it. You can go in it. And then depending on how well I knew them, I would either jump in or I would throw them in. Kind of depending on the depth of the relationship, right? You don't have to just look at it. You can go in it. And I think that same dynamic happens with a lot of Christians. They're standing on the edge of faith, standing on this understanding that God wants to know them, be with them, speak to them, transform them. And it's like, man, that looks good. That sounds so good. But I'm just kind of standing here in observation mode. You don't have to just look at it. You can go in it. Everything you read about in this book is available to you. This personal, profound, powerful relationship with your creator, with your maker, it's available to you. You can see his face. You can be filled with his glory. You can radiate his goodness and his love. That's available to you. You don't got to just look at it. You can actually go in it. So that's our hope and our prayer through this series. I love this verse, Psalm 42, 2 says, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with him? When can I be in this God's presence? You know what the answer is, church? Anytime you want. Go up anytime you want. But as we talked about last week, there are these obstacles, are there not, to going up. It's hard. There are hindrances and, and roadblocks and hurdles when you try to go and meet with God. It seems like everything comes at you and everything falls apart around you. You just want to go up, but there's so many reasons that you just can't. So that's what I want to talk about for the next couple of weeks. Uh, keeping with the theme of the ocean, Pastor Francis Chan, one of my favorite pastors, he also did ministry in Southern California for a long, long time, and he was a huge surfer. I tried surfing a couple times. Um, but I look more like a rag doll and beached whale, some nasty hybrid combination. It was like, ah, pfft, there's Thomas. So I didn't surf a whole lot. But Francis Chan loved to surf. So one day a friend asks Pastor Chan if he will teach him how to surf. And of course, Francis was super excited to do it. So we got all the gear and a little bit of instruction, and they jumped out into the water. Well, if you've ever been surfing, you've got to paddle hard, hard, hard to go past the break. So Francis gets past the break out there in the ocean, just kind of floating, and he turns around, and he notices that his friend is still only about knee-deep in the water. He's still just way back there at the edge. Francis is like, listen, man, you got to come out here. You never catch a wave from back there. The guy says, I can't. Francis replies back, why not? And the guy says, I can't swim. <laughs> that might have been good to know, right, before you jumped out into the ocean. But I wonder how many of us feel like that as we kind of enter into this series, this relationship with God. I mean, I, mean, I, want, to, I want to enter into it. I just don't know how. I don't know how to surf and ride this wave and have this amazing experience with the Father. I don't know how to do it. I don't even know how to swim. And so again, we're going to try to remedy that the next couple of weeks. Now, when it comes to going up, a lot of people forget or lose sight of exactly who it is they are going up to be with. Far too many of us lose sight of who exactly we are praying to or singing for or sitting with. you got to keep in mind, who are you going up there to be with? And if you forget that or lose sight of that, then I think the rest of your time up will not be what it was designed to be. Because you aren't simply going up to talk with a good friend. Although that, that's true. 
You aren't going up to simply meet with a wise teacher or a wise counselor, although that is true as well. You aren't simply going up to, uh, to, to meet with your father or the one who loves you more than any other. That is also true. All of that is true. You are going up to meet with God. And I think we lose sight of that. We forget who we're with. I'm a big golf fan, and so golf tournaments are four days long. They start on Thursday, and they go through Sunday. But on Wednesday of most of these events, they have something called a pro-am. It's where uh, jokers like me pay a lot of money to go play with the big boys during their practice round. Well, one day, a friend of mine, whose college roommate was Max Lucado, they're playing in a pro-am with David Faraday and another pro golfer. David Faraday is an announcer for the Golf Channel. You with me? So I feel like I'm speaking in tongues here for some of you. Like, hey, ba-dee, ba-dee, ba-dee. All right, so guys are playing in a golf tournament. Uh, they're with some famous people, all right? Well, Faraday, Faraday doesn't know who these other two guys, who my friend is, who Max Lucado is. So Faraday starts talking about the new book that he's writing. And he goes on and on and on about how difficult it has been to write this book. And he's telling Max Lucado, I don't think you would ever want to do this, my friend, because this is really, really hard. And many of us are laughing because Max Lucado unbeknownst to David Faraday, has written 100 books. He has sold 80 million copies. Faraday lost sight of who he was with. Instead of saying, you better not do this, he should have bowed down and said, how do you do this? But you see, if you forget who you're with, doesn't it change then what you say? That same thing happens with us and God. You are going up to meet with God. Whenever you pray, whenever you read the word, whenever you spend time in worship, whenever you sit in intentional silence, whenever you focus your mind and meditate on the scriptures, you are going up and entering into the throne room of heaven itself. That should change what you say. That should change what you do, don't you think? There's a story of a young American uh, student who was visiting a Beethoven museum one day, and she was fascinated by the piano. The piano on which Beethoven had composed some of his greatest works. And it was blocked off and behind this little barrier. But she asked the museum guard if she could just play a few notes on this piano. He was like, no, that's, that's totally against the rules. Well, she gave him a fantastically large tip and said, how about now? No, I'm sorry. Oh, how about now? And she just kept giving him money until he was like, okay, fine, fine, hurry, go back there and play it. The girl went to the piano and played the opening of the Moonlight Sonata. And as she was leaving, she said to the guard, I bet you all the great pianists who come in here want to play on this piano. And the guard shook his head and said, no, most of the great ones say they're not even worthy to touch it. Changes your perspective a little bit, doesn't it? That's respect. That's admiration. That's what the scripture calls reverence. And that's how we should approach the Lord. That's the posture we should take when we first go up. Psalm 5-7 says this, But I, by your great love, I can come into your house. Amazing uh, truth right there. By your love, I can enter in. I can be with you. But in reverence, I bow down at your temple. And here's why. Our God, he isn't some slouch. He isn't some second-rate deity. Our God, although the world doesn't believe us, our God is not a little puppy gnawing at your feet trying to get your attention. Please play with me. Please play with me. Please play with me. Our God is not somebody on Facebook who's like, oh, I just got to get a 1,000 likes on this. I just wish more people would, would like this post that I just put on. He's not like that. 
He's the God of the universe. And you have to understand who you are going up to be with because it will change everything once you're up there. This is the one true God. Isaiah 43, you're my witnesses, O Israel, says the Lord. You're my servant. You've been chosen to know me, to believe in me, and understand that I am God. There is no other God. There has never been, and there never will be. I am the Lord. There is no other Savior. So when you go up, friend, when you go up there, that's who you're with. You're with him, the one true God. Let me see if I can unpack this a little bit more. When you go up, you are meeting with the God who is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He made the entire cosmos, everything that is seen and unseen, all of it in six days. And he didn't even have to lift a finger or break a sweat. After that huge windstorm a couple weeks ago, I had to replace eight posts in my backyard. It took me four days and afterward it looked like this. It nearly killed me. Eight posts in four days. God made the cosmos, everything in six days. And afterward, he didn't look like this. He looked like this. Oh, that's good. That's good. That's the God you go up to meet with. The God who spoke the depths of the Grand Canyon and the peak of Mount Kilimanjaro. The God who spoke the giraffe tongue and the monkey face. The God who spoke DNA, nuclear physics, imagination, dreaming. That God who made it all, that's the one you're going to meet with. Don't forget that. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. Isaiah 40, verse 20. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord's the everlasting God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. Psalm 102, 25, in the beginning you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They're all going to wear out like a garment, like clothing you change and discard, but you will remain the same and your years will never end. If there were a tag on every single thing in this world, including you on the very back, you would lift it up and it would say, made in heaven by God himself. Because he made it all. Everything is from him. You with me? So when you go up to be with him, David Faraday, he's written a book or two. <laughs> he's made a thing or two. Remember who you're with. So when you go up, don't forget you're with the creator of the heavens and the earth. The God we go up to be with, he is also the one who rules over the heavens and the earth. This is so hard for us as Americans to kind of fathom, but God will always be on the throne and his rule and reign will never come to an end. And again, we're like, what, forever, always? This just doesn't make sense. And here's why. In America's short little history, we have had 45 different presidents sit on the throne. Go across the pond, Britain, England. Over their 1,500-year period of time of existence, they have had 66 different monarchs, different people in power. Well, you know what? The number of those who have sat on the throne of heaven, do you, you know what the number is of those who have controlled nations from beginning to end? You know the number of those who will rule without end? That number, one. And it will always be one. It's his throne, and he will always 
be on it. Psalm 102, but you, Lord, sit enthroned forever. Your renown endures through all generations. Daniel 6, 26, I decree everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. He's the living God. He will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed, and his rule will never end. You know who was saying that? A king who was about to die. And he's like, and there is a king, though, another king who will rule and reign forever. We get pretty worked up, and it's kind of funny to see this. We get pretty worked up when people uh, get elected to office, and they'll be in there for four years. Four years. How about forever? That's how long God will rule and God will reign. And I don't think he's all that interested in, in our thrones. I think we get a lot more worked up in the people who are sitting on our human thrones than God ever does. He's like, are you serious? I'll put a six-year-old on the throne if I have to. And sometimes he does, doesn't he? And, and, well, hey, hey, you stop that. It's not what I was saying. But even in like Chinese dynasties and stuff, right, every once in a while there has been literally a six-year-old sitting on the throne. Because God's like, I'll put whoever I want on that throne. Because that throne will not last. And it will not remain. Mine will. So when you go up, You are meeting with, you are spending time with the creator of the heavens and the earth and the one who rules over the heavens and the earth. Oh, and you're also meeting with the most powerful God in the heavens and the earth. You see, God has proven time and time and time again that he is far superior to all other gods. Let me give you a couple of examples. 1 Kings 18, many of you know this story, but the prophet Elijah He's kind of battling it out in a showdown with the prophets of a god named Baal. The prophets of Baal, they, they start to scream and shout. They, they start to dance. They even cut themselves because they want their god to act, to move, to come down and to do something on the earth. And so they make this huge scene. Well, the prophet Elijah is like, maybe you guys need to scream louder. Maybe you guys need to dance a little harder. Maybe you need to cut yourself more because maybe your god is on the pot. That's literally, literally what the text says. Maybe your god is taking a nap. Maybe your God's on a trip. He can't hear you. And then Elijah, it's his turn to pray. And when he calls in the name of the one true God, the battle and the competition and the altar, they all come to an end because God shows up. And Elijah simply needs to say, Lord, move. And he did. Or how about 1 Samuel 5? This story might not be as familiar to many of you. 1 Samuel 5, it's a great story about the Philistines, kind of the enemies of God. Well, they're in a battle with God's people, and they steal something from God's people called the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was this little box that represented and symbolized God's presence and God's power. So when God's people had it, they were like, yes, God is with us. Well, suddenly the Philistines come in, and they stole it. Like, we've got their God. I'm assuming it's how Philistine laughs, but I don't know. So then they decide to put the Ark of the Covenant next to the statue of their God. They put it in the temple of Dagon. They're like, oh, that little God will go next to our huge concrete statue of Dagon. That looks nice right there. Well, the next morning, wouldn't you know it, Dagon's statue is lying face down in front of the Ark of the Covenant. The Philistines are like, well, that's kind of weird. wonder what happened there. So they lift him back up and put him back in his place. Well, the next morning, yeah, not only is he lying face down, his head and his hands have been cut off. Because I think God is saying, are you serious? You're gonna put me in the same light as Dagon or Baal for that matter? There is no other God who can stand in my presence. 
I don't care who you are, Pharaoh, Caesar, Muhammad, Brahma, Joseph Smith, they're not me. I alone am God, he says, and I will knock down and show you the futility of all other gods. 2 Samuel 7, how great are you, O sovereign Lord? There's none like you. We've never even heard of another God like you. 1 Kings 8, 23, O Lord God of Israel, there's no God like you in all of heaven above or all of earth below. So are you tracking? You with me right now? When you go up, you are meeting with, you are speaking to, you are communing with the creator of the heavens and the earth. You are doing all those things with the ruler of the heavens and the earth. And you're doing all those things with the sovereign God who's over all the heavens and the earth. So when you pray, when you're talking to him, when you draw near, that's who you're approaching. When you're singing, that's who you're praising. And if people approach Beethoven's piano with great reverence and respect, don't you think we should approach the throne of grace with a little bit of respect too? Isaiah 6 describes this in a profound way. We're going to talk about this for the next couple of weeks. There's so much here, but let me unpack a little bit for you now. Isaiah 6, 1 through 4 says this. In the year that King Uzziah died. Now let's just stop there because that tells us a lot. King Uzziah was a good king. And if you know anything about your Old Testament history, you know those guys were hard to find. So he's a good king. Not only is he a good king, but he ruled for 52 years. And not only was he a good king that ruled for 52 years, but he was a good king that ruled for 52 years, and he was a great military force. Underneath his rule, during his tenure, if you will, the Israelites experienced great peace, great prosperity for 52 years. But guess what happens to King Uzziah? He's like all the other kings. He died. And so now what do we do? Well, we freak out, right? We fret. We fear. Because what's going to happen to us? Well, Isaiah sees exactly what's going to happen to us. He sees exactly what's going on behind the scenes. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne. And his throne, the robe of his throne, filled the entire temple. The train of the robe of the throne, whatever, you, get it, you know what I'm saying. Read, read the text. His robe, what he's wearing, literally fills the entire sanctuary. Imagine this morning, trying to come in here, and you can't, you can't get in. It's not because the doors are locked, because there's something blocking the entrance for you. You're like, what, what is this? It's this ornate, beautiful piece of tapestry. You can't fight your way through it. And you eventually make it, the entire thing is filled with his robe. I mean, I've seen some brides with some long trains before, right? But it's like, not, nothing like this. The entire sanctuary is filled with his robe. And finally, Isaiah is able to kind of force his way through, and he pushes up, and he looks up, and up above is the Lord God seated on the throne. Oh, this is, this is the king's robe. Oh, wow. And then what does it say? And above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their face, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they called one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voice, the doorposts and the thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Holy cow, there's so much to talk about here. But let me point out one other thing to you. It's the seraphim. Okay, so, so, so he makes it through the doorway and, the, and, the, and the, the, the train of his robe is in there. And then he sees God sitting on the throne. And above that throne are these seraphim. That's a weird word for some of us. We don't exactly know what we're talking about here. Seraphim is, is a word describing the highest of angels. When, when it comes to like the corporate ladder or the food chain, this is the highest of high. This is, this is as high as you get in heaven. Now this is important to us because if, if like... 
average Joe Angel came in right now, if like lowest little weak Johnny Angel, I don't know why I call him Johnny, but he's like little Johnny Angel. If he came in, we would be terrified by his presence. We would be so overwhelmed by him. We would literally say, please don't kill us, Johnny. <laughs> like little twerp angel, right? You know what I'm saying? This is not little twerp angel. This is seraphim. This is highest of the high. And what are they doing in the Lord's presence? Oh, man, can we, can we hurry this up? Is that what the seraphim are doing? What are the seraphim doing in his presence? And I wonder, I wonder how my fantasy team's doing this morning. Is that what the seraphim are doing? Are the seraphim thinking, man, what are we going to have for lunch today? Man, what, what, what's heaven's buffet line going to have today? Right? I mean, what are the seraphim doing in that moment when they're in the presence of the Lord? What are they doing? They're covering their eyes. They're covering their bodies. Why? It's like, we're not even worthy to look at you. We don't even have the right to look at you eye to eye. You don't just walk up into a king's presence like, yo, so big guy, I got some questions for you. You cover yourself. You say, I'm not even worthy. Don't even look at me. I'm sorry. I'm even here. This is crazy. That's what the seraphim are doing. The highest angels do that in God's presence. And then, as they're doing that, as they're covering, as a sign of respect and reverence, they're only able to usher a single word. There's only one word that matters or that makes sense in that moment. What is that word? Holy. Holy. All they can say in God's presence is holy. What does that word mean? It means, it means different. It means unique. It means so set apart, so much better than we could have ever imagined or dreamt of. That's who you are, God. Holy, holy, holy. It's all they can say. So they're covering themselves up. They're bowing down. They're speaking out holy. Now let me ask you, does that describe your last time in prayer? Does that resemble in any way the last time you went before the throne? Because if I'm honest, church, it's not how I am. I like bow my head. Last night I fell asleep as I was praying on my bed. That's not like, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You're so much bigger. You don't fall asleep when you're doing that. So the highest angels, they come before the Lord in that way. And I think that we need to come into his presence in that same way. We're so flippant. We're so frivolous with his presence. Right? We kind of give God one of those like cool guy head nods like, Right, like the eyebrows up too. Like, what's up, God? It's like, what, what are you, what are you doing with your face right there? Fall on your face. That's what we need to do before the Lord. Right, right. We, we like sip our coffee and and we're thinking about and distracted by all these different things. We, we text or we check the scores or, or we go in and out during worship just like to talk to somebody on the phone. And I'm glad. Don't don't under, misunderstand me here. I'm glad we're comfortable in the Lord's presence. But church, there is a big difference between being comfortable and being careless. And I think far too many of us are careless. You should never write a book, God, because it's so hard. Oh, wait. You've written a hundred books. I mean, you get the, you get the idea. I mixed the analogies. Max Lucado's not God. I didn't say that. Okay, whatever. All right, sorry. The angels are consumed. They are so overwhelmed by the presence of the Lord, and you and I just kind of casually just enter and do it and then leave it without even thinking about it. So I want us to, to approach him with reverence and awe. Listen to how the, the, the scripture, the Bible, describes our entering into his presence. Psalm 68, 4, sing praises to God and to his name. Sing loud praises to him who rides on the clouds. His name is the Lord. Rejoice in his presence. 
Psalm 99.5, exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. He is holy. Psalm 95.6, come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker. So here you go, swimming lesson number one. You want to learn how to swim? When you go up, you start by bowing down. When you go up, you start by bowing down. Here's the amazing thing. As you bow down, whether physically, symbolically, whatever it is, as you bow down, what you're doing is you're lifting him up. That's how you start. That's how you swim. That's how you enter into the ocean to catch a wave. That's what these passages are talking about. Words in the Bible like reverence, awe, exaltation, adoration, blessing his name. All of that is meant to simply encourage you to bow down. To bow down and to lift him up. So when we go up, one of the first things we have to do is bow down. Remember, remember who it is you're talking to. Remember who it is whose presence you are in. So don't rush into his presence without first marveling at his presence. Don't start with your requests until you've first shown your respect. Don't ask until you have properly adored. You with me? What do we tend to do, though? We go right in, right? It's like, I got so many things to tell you right now, Lord. Listen, dear Santa, I mean, dear Jesus, I got a lot of stuff I need from you. Right? It's funny, too. I remember... I don't remember, this happens a lot. People will come up to me and they'll say, gosh, I'm preaching long today. Daggone, we're not done yet. Okay, um, hold on. We're going to go really fast. People will say, I can't wait to get to the Lord because I'm going to have so many questions that I'm going to ask him. And it's like, really? Really? You're going to push away his 12 wings and the millions of angels that are surrounding him, and you're going to come up you're going to be like, so, big guy, about the dinosaurs. You, you, think, you think you're going to No, you're going to fall on your face and say, holy, holy, holy. Is the Lord God Almighty. You are so much bigger, so much more majestic, so much more beautiful, so different than I ever imagined you to be. So if we're going to do that then, how about we start now? Start with an adoration and a praise and an exaltation. Why do we do that? Well, it changes us. I've got a whole section here about how that's how Jesus taught us to pray, isn't it? This isn't just an Old Testament thing. How did Jesus say you pray? The disciples come to him. They're like, dude, you pray so differently than we do. We want to know how you pray. Would you teach us how to pray, Jesus? And he's like, sure. It's just like this. Our Father in heaven, then what? Hallowed be thy name. Great is your name. Amazing is your name. You are the name above all other names. Jesus says, you start in this place of adoration. And again, you're not reminding God of who he is. He's like, oh, you're right, I forgot, I am a great God. Thanks for the reminder. You're not lifting him up to tell him something he doesn't already know. What you're doing is you're, you're positioning yourself. Does that make sense? Let me give you a couple of examples real fast. When the diagnosis, when the tragedy, when anything comes in your life unexpectedly, go up and bow down. Go up and bow down. I praise you, God. You know all things. You see all things. And you will work out all things for my good. Nothing ever catches you off guard, God. You've never turned to the Holy Spirit and been like, so what are we going to do now? I don't know. What do you think we should do, Jesus? Uh, Right? 
You have never been caught off guard. You know all things from beginning to end, and you have purposed this, this tragedy, this death, this loss in my life. You knew it was coming, and you know when it's going to end, so I lift you up. I look to you. You go up and you bow down. You with me? Let's say you're lonely or you're overcome by sadness or depression or fear. Go up and bow down. I exalt you, God. You and you alone are my strength and my shield. When I disconnect from my, myself from you, I am sapped of all my energy. You are my power. You are my praise. You are my protection. And here's why. Because you, God, unlike me, I just woke up. You never go to sleep. You never grow weary or tired. You never take a day off. You are always working. And so I look to you now, God. I'm in over my head, but you have, that has never been said of you, God. We could go on and on. Right? You desire a spouse, you desire to get pregnant, you're overcome by a sin. All these different things are happening in your life. Go up and bow down. Because that will position you well. That will get you in that water and you'll start swimming. And then suddenly a lot of other things will start happening in your life if you make this part the first part. So church, we go up. And when we do, we lift our head up, we lift our hands up, we lift our eyes up, we lift him up. That's the only appropriate response, isn't it? Holy, holy, holy. So I am excited to see you guys catch a wave. But if you gotta start swimming first, this is where you start. Start in the water. Start by bowing down. Not, don't bow down in the water, that'd be awkward. Okay, but you get, you get what I'm saying. Okay, let me pray us out of here. We'll call it a day. God, you are the most holy of all beings, God. We come before you. We don't want to enter into your presence now flippantly or arrogantly, God. We don't deserve to be here. We are breathing right now. We are living right now because we are borrowing those things from you. If you said right now that Thomas would be no more, I would be no more. And so we come to you and we say, you are the great God of the universe. You created all things. It was not an accident. It was not this long, drawn-out process. You made it. And God, we also believe that you rule over it. You sit enthroned. The scepter is in your hand. The robe is on your back. And no one else makes decisions about the universe except for you. And God, you are the, the most powerful God. There is no God like you in heaven above or earth below. All other gods fall flat on their face and their head gets cut off in front of you, God. And so we come into your presence now and we just say, holy, holy, holy. We don't want anything from you, God. We don't need anything from you. We just want to be in your presence right now and we just want to say thank you and we love you and you are amazing and good. And I just pray that we will not leave this place and this position for a long time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, church, thank you for being here. Have an amazing day. Visitors, join us downstairs for lunch. Everybody else, don't forget your dollar in the bin on the way out. We can bless the family in need. Be strong and courageous. God bless you guys. Holy, holy.